Uh, if you've not met me, my name's Jez. I'm on the leadership team here at the church. Um, it's lovely to see you all, particularly those who are new or visiting. But regulars, we're glad you're here as well. It's good to see you. And we are in this um, series, a church uh, sermon series based on the idea of the church. What makes a church? What are the structures that God has given us? You know, when we gather here on a Sunday, we don't just make stuff up according to what we think is a good idea. Um, we run church according to what Jesus has prescribed for us. And so what we're doing with this series is we're thinking a little bit about what church is, particularly at its structural level. Um, how is it that Jesus has organized things so that the, his people, the ones he cares about, are looked after in healthy ways? And that's, what we're, that's a question we're kind of answering um, over these few weeks. And um, I want to start with a bit of a random question, though. How many membership or loyalty cards do you own? I mean, I don't know how many of you carry a lot of them on your person, in your wallet, or in your purse. If you were to open them up and show all the loyalty cards, all the membership cards, how many would you have, and what would they be for? Um, I think you can probably tell a lot about a person by what they carry in their wallet, and particularly those, those cards. Let me share with you two cards I have. So the first is um, the prestigious full Cafe Nero stamped card. There's nine stamps on here, okay, coveted. At any point in my life, I can go in and get a free drink from Cafe Nero, okay? Now, I've held on to this for about a month, partly because it feels like too precious to just use casually. I feel like I need a special occasion to cash in this voucher. That says how sad I am. Um, but that's one thing, my, that's my Cafe Nero um, loyalty card. But this is, this is another card. Um, you, you can't see it from where you are. But this is my University of Salford alumni card. And um, it says on here, alumni, lifetime membership. Lifetime. As long as there is breath in my body, I will be a member of the University of Salford alumni. And, and what does this mean for me? It means that I can go and use the library facilities at my old university whenever I want to. Um, I get emails about graduate events that I can go to as well. Now, let me tell you um, the honest truth. I have not really taken advantage of this lifetime membership at the University of Salford as, as an alumni. Um, on the back of the card, I've not even signed my name on it. Um, I've never been to the library to, to use the resources there. Um, to be honest, I feel like functionally I'm more a member of Cafe Nero than I am of my own university. Um, that's, that's the truth. And so lifetime membership doesn't really mean that much to me. And maybe that's kind of a thing about membership, isn't it? When we think about the, how we are members of various different institutions or organizations, it can mean a very wide, uh, it could be very wide what, what membership means depending on what you're a member of. And so what we're thinking about today is what does it mean to be a member of the church if we are Christians, we have been saved into God's people. And so if we are a member of, of what is his body, we are told in the scripture, what kind of membership is that? What, what does it require of us? What should our expectations be? And we're going to spend a couple of weeks thinking about this. And this week, we're going to think particularly about the need for membership. The need for membership. Now, you can think about membership, I think, in two ways. One is the kind of informal membership. And in that sense, you are a member of a church if you go regularly, if you get stuck in, 
if you're part of what goes on in the culture, um, if you know people, yeah, you go and, and you're essentially a member, functionally a member. But there's also formal membership, something official uh, that you sign up to. And here at Grace Church, we operate formal membership as well. Now, you may have come from a church background where you did not have formal church membership, and so this might sound a little bit strange to you. But what we're going to do this week is we're going to have a look at what the Bible says about being part of a church and membership, and also look, about how, look at how that applies to formal membership as well in the way we do it here, here at Grace Church. So let's have a look together at what it means to be part of a church. Now, the first thing I want us to see this morning, if this is turned on, there we go. Joining a church means committing. Joining a church means committing. And we have that passage in Romans 12, read to us, um, and it's not on the slide. So look down with me at Romans 12, verses 4 to 5. Paul writes this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So this idea of the church as a body is, is a common idea in the New Testament, and Paul uses it here to describe the church. And, and the idea of this body imagery, what, what does it communicate to us? Well, a body has parts. It has members, in other words. You know, it has legs and arms and ears and other parts. But that each of these parts together make a whole. And Paul emphasizes that though there are different parts in the body, together that they are, together they're united. Okay, there is one body and the parts are united together. In fact, they're interconnected. Do you see the strength of Paul's language there? Each member belongs to the others. Each member belongs to the others. And what I want to say is, that image of an interconnected body with different parts implies commitment. To be part of a church involves committing. In verse 4, of chapter 12, Paul talks about each of the body parts having a function, that is, every member of a church contributes in some way. And it also says that the members belong to each other, and that implies a few things. Love, of course, if we belong to each other, then we will care for each other. But it also implies a level of obligation and duty. My actions as a part of the body impact the whole body. They impact the whole community. And we cannot function as we should as part of a church if we are not committed to it. And I think that um, holds true if we think about our literal bodies. So my body will not very, work very well if each of its parts are not committed. Okay, you think about my legs. If my legs don't work properly, um, then I will not remain mobile. If they are disconnected from my torso, if those connections of veins and bones and tissue, for example, if they're ruptured, well, that means I will be disabled or impaired. 
Neither is it a very good thing for the legs themselves. They can't function without the rest of the body. It's not like my legs are going to get up and walk themselves away. So disconnected from the body, um, the members are lifeless. And, and what this points to, this idea of a body where we're connected, is that we need, as Christians, the church community, and the church community needs us. And if we are to function healthily, there needs to be a consistency to that level of involvement in, in the church. And so be, joining a church means committing. Otherwise, there'll be a lack of health. Now, that, that's kind of implied in the body imagery in Romans 12, but elsewhere in the Bible, it's made more explicit. So we get a passage like Hebrews 10, where the writer to the Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We are commanded to commit to the church family. And notice this involves attendance, so not neglecting to meet together, but it also means a level of personal involvement. Do you see that? Spurring one another on to love and good works. It's not simply being here. There's a, an engagement with the rest of the community, the other people who are here. Church can sometimes be thought of like an on-demand service. You know, I, I turn up, I get my spiritual input for the week, and then I kind of go. But to treat church merely in those terms will involve attendance, but not the kind of investment or commitment that Jesus has designed his church to have. Jesus wants more for his church than for it to be a content provider. A way of you hearing teaching or having a spiritual experience. He, as he has united himself to us, he has united us to each other in the body. And that is a beautiful thing when you think about it, that we are connected to each other, that we can rely on each other, that we can serve each other. So it involves commitment joining a church. Now, I should probably hasten to add that the church is not like Hotel California, as the Eagles sang. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. People can move on from one church to another for lots of good and valid reasons. But what it does mean is that whilst we are part of a church, we are committed to it. That is what Jesus requires from us in our church membership. So joining a church means committing. Secondly, joining a church means submitting. And you thought committing was bad. So look at what um, the scriptures tell us about our relationship to leaders in Hebrews and in 1 Peter. They're on the screen there. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. And also 1 Peter 5 Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. God commands Christians to submit 
to the leaders of their churches. Now, in our culture, the word submit, the S word, it carries a lot of negative connotations. It's a problematic concept for many. It has connotations of oppression, dominance, being taken advantage of, being treated like a doormat, treated without dignity. And sadly, that has sometimes been the case in the world, certainly, and and even in the church. But we should bear in mind that in the Bible, submission is actually a virtue. All Christians are called to submit in various areas of life. All of us are. And it's worth saying, the Lord Jesus Christ himself submitted to his Father in heaven. Whilst he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what is it he said? Not my will, but yours be done. And so he doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't do himself in that sense. Now, what what is submission? Submission is an active decision to not do things our own way, but to yield to another. To not hold on too tightly, grasping onto something, but to be willing to let it go in deference to someone else in a position of authority normally, but not always. Now, submission in the right context is a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. Just think again of the Lord Jesus and his submission to his Father, meaning that he would go to Gethsemane, he would even go to the cross. Can someone's submission be abused? Of course it can. Of course it can. But we should note that the Bible has safeguards against um, abusive authority. And so, for the most part in the Bible, our submission is never absolute. So, for example, in Romans 13, Christians are called to submit to their governments. And that means for us, living in this country, we are to keep the law of the land. And we are to keep those laws, even if we think they're silly, or inefficient, or not productive. But that is not absolute, And we see that in the examples of the apostles in the early church. If a government passed a law that forbade Christians from gathering together to worship, for example, then Christians would have a duty not to submit to that law. Because then that would be to disobey Jesus. And so submission is never absolute except for in our submission to God. Now, that doesn't mean we can kind of pick and choose when to submit. Um, But there are safeguards when um, to submit would be sinful or wrong or would enable um, abuse or harm or ungodly behavior. Uh, Then we, we should not submit. Nevertheless... Um, submission is a positive thing, and we are called to submit in various parts of life, including church life. And so, joining a church means submitting to the church because of these commands that God gives us. And in particular, that means submitting to its leaders, its elders. Now, we thought about the role of elders last week. And and if you didn't hear that sermon, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's on our website. Um, You can listen online. And the elders of the church are are its primary leaders. They're responsible for leading the church, feeding it through teaching the Bible, caring for its members, and protecting them. 
And God has ordained that a church should have elders. We saw that. And so joining a church means sitting under their leadership. Now, for those of you who are worried you've just walked into a cult, I better explain this a little bit more. And I think Hebrews 13 is a little bit, um, is is very helpful here. So um, why is it that Christians are to submit to their leaders? Well, it's not so that the elders can feel important or superior. It's not to give them a power trip. The reason is there in verse 17. Because the elders are called by Jesus to watch over the church and give an account for you. Did you know that one day the Lord Jesus is, I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus, he's going to look me in the eyes and he's going to ask me what I did to care for the people of Grace Church. And I'm going to have to give an account for that. And so will Pete, and so will Edem, and so will Namdi. We will give an account to the Lord for how we have exercised our eldership in this church. And so we are to do that diligently and carefully, as we saw last week. But we are to lead the church. As, as we are called. And that involves watching over the spiritual health of its members. And so elders are given spiritual authority by God to speak into the lives of Christians in the church through our preaching, through our example, but also in our conversations. And we're to encourage you to live a godly life as part of our job. And so if members of the church live in a way that is contrary to the way of Um, Jesus in his word, then we do have the authority to gently and lovingly, but clearly speak to you about it and encourage you to live in a way worthy of the gospel. And so to join a church means submitting to that leadership. What does submission to leadership look like? Well, first of all, it means trust. It means trust. Having a disposition of trust towards the leaders of the church when we make decisions, for example. Now, it doesn't mean you can't ask questions. It doesn't mean you can't um, raise your concerns. And actually, functionally, at Grace Church, we as elders have learned so much and really benefited from the feedback of you guys. We seek it, we want it. We can't always see everything clearly. Having your perspective and input is valuable. But it, is, it does need a disposition of trust from um, the church, not a desire to scrutinize every decision we've made. Churches function healthily when the elders are trustworthy, and that's crucial, but they also function healthily when the congregation is trusting. Both need to be in place, otherwise there will be unhealth. Secondly, submitting to the elders means praying for us, and we talked a little bit about that last week. But thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, submitting means that if we have to talk to you about a matter of sin in your life, that you listen and when necessary, repent and turn back to Jesus. Now, in one sense, this isn't just for the elders to do. We we, we do this for each other. And if you are a Christian and you have a Christian friend who points out an area of sin in your life, actually, you should listen to them and repent as well from what they say. But it's particularly the case with elders because we have this special responsibility to watch over the church family. 
Now again, I have to be careful here because the input that we as elders give on someone's life, the authority of that differs dependent on the um, circumstance. Okay, it depends on the sort of thing we're talking about. Let me kind of illustrate. Let's think about different categories. Um, So, if we think about the category of doctrine, for for example, what, what we believe, a matter of what is true and what is false according to the Bible. Is Jesus the Son of God? Are we saved by grace alone through faith? We as elders are called to speak authoritatively to that category. There's also the matter of morality, where it comes to righteous living and obedience to clear principles in the Bible. That is important. An example of this would be um, sexual activity outside of marriage for a Christian. Elders can speak with authority on these matters. We can represent Jesus because it's scriptural, and we have that authority and can speak on his behalf. And it's important on these matters that Christians submit to their leaders where scripture is clear. But there are other categories. For example, that of wisdom or preference. So should you live in this house in this area or this house in this area? Uh, Do you take this particular job or that particular job? Now here, elders can give wisdom, but as long as the choice doesn't involve something that is obviously sinful, we cannot be dogmatic about it. There has been a, you see trends in some church cultures of what's sometimes been called heavy shepherding where um, the leaders of a church dictate to the members what they should do with their lives um, in, in the kind of nitty-gritty and granular areas that go beyond kind of scriptural principles. Um, and sometimes they do so invoking the name of God. So to say to go against what the elder says is to disobey God in this kind of more neutral area, that is wrong. And elders overstep their mark when they speak in that kind of context, in that sort of way. So an elder cannot be dogmatic about issues of wisdom or preference. It doesn't mean that what we think is irrelevant. Hopefully it will be helpful. Um, And it's wise to listen to your elders on these things and take what they say seriously. But we just cannot speak with the same level of authority. So what's the point here? It's, It's not that the church is a cult Okay, joining a church is kind of like joining a family. And the, the leadership are kind of like the parents of the church. We're here to shepherd and guide um, and give instruction. Because we've been called to look after, look after you in the ways that we can. And we, as leaders, will give account to Jesus for the way that we do so. But coming into a church means submitting to the leaders. You come under the leadership of its of the church when you join it. So joining a church means submitting. So it means committing, and it means submitting. Okay, finally, membership identifies those who have joined the church. So we've seen that um, being part of church is not simply about attending. It involves committing and submitting. But what about formal membership? I haven't really spoken about that. Why should we have it? And if you look in the New Testament, it might not be easy to find references to things like membership classes 
or formal agreements as such. And so one might fairly ask, is formal membership really necessary? Is it not kind of obvious, really, who's part of the church and who isn't? So why should we have formal membership? Well, I want to say this. If being part of a church means um, committing and submitting, formal membership is a way of clarifying who are those people who have chosen to commit and to submit. It clarifies it to everybody. And that is important, biblically. So let me come at this from two angles. The first is um, an angle of what we call church discipline. I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians 5. Um, If that's a little bit small on your sheets, you you might want to turn there. 1 Corinthians 5, um, verses 1 to 12. I'll just read. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, um, or swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Now, there's a lot to say there, isn't there? Big passage. And we're going to think about the topic of church discipline in a couple of weeks' time, and we'll be looking at this passage in a little bit more detail. But there are just a few things to pick up from there about the nature of the church. Now, the basics are that it, this is in the church of Corinth. Paul was writing to them. There was a matter where there was a man in the church who was sleeping with his father's wife, probably his mother-in-law. Um, and there wasn't any remorse or repentance on the part of this person. And so Paul urges the church to deal with it and deal with this person by putting them outside the church fellowship. And that is with the intention that they will see the error of their ways, turn back to Jesus, and then be welcomed back. Now, just think about the implications for membership here. Paul sees that there are people who are considered inside and outside the church. And the Corinthians are told that they need to treat those who are inside differently to those who were once inside and are now outside. So Paul expects that everyone in this church is going to know who is inside and who is outside. And the Corinthians are to treat people um, accordingly, whether they're inside or outside. Now, um, to quote Jonathan Lehman, who's a a thinker on, on church structures, he says this, obviously... You cannot expel someone from a church unless they belong to a church in the first place. 
And what's important here is to belong to a church in the Bible is not simply whether you attend a service or not, whether you're in the building. Because elsewhere in the Bible, we see um, that uh, Paul expects that there will be people who are not part of the church in the gathering. So he says later in, in 1 Corinthians, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in to the church, that is, while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin. The point there is that in a church meeting like this, there will be people who are part of the church and there are people who are not. So ultimately, the question is this. How does a church distinguish between those who are inside and those who are outside? Let me come at this from another angle. Let's go back to that issue of um, submitting to elders. Hebrews 13, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Elders like me are to give an account to Jesus for those who are under our care. But who exactly are under our care? How do I know who I'm giving account to Jesus for? Is it everybody who's in the room at the moment? Is it everyone who's signed uh, on the sign-in sheet downstairs whose names are printed up? Is it everyone who comes to a life group or to a student group? I'd be interested to know, for those of you who come here regularly, do you consider yourself as being under the authority of the eldership here at the church? I imagine some of you here would not. And why should you? Just by being here, it doesn't mean you've signed up to anything. But that's kind of the point. The question is, how do we know who is part of the church and who is not? How do we know those who have committed and those who have submitted? The Lord commands us to do both. But how do we distinguish between the two, those who are inside and those who are outside? Formal membership makes that clear. It's a mechanism that, that just clarifies that for everybody. Here's, what's hap- here's what happens in, in becoming a member. Um, one of the church leaders meets with you to affirm your profession of faith, to get a sense that you truly believe the gospel and understand it. Um, we commit to overseeing your discipleship and caring for you in the church to help you grow as a Christian. And in turn, members um, publicly make a commitment in front of the whole church to be part of the church, to contribute to it, um, and to submit to its leaders. And because it's public, everyone knows who is a member. Everyone's clear on who has signed up and what they've signed up to. There's no blurred lines in that sense. That's why we have formal church membership here at Grace Church. Now, does this mean that this is a two-tier system between members and non-members. I once heard of an objection to formal membership um, by someone who said that it was kind of ridiculous that pastors would um, prioritize people who are formally signed up and then neglect others in the church who had not come to that stage yet. And of course, that is ridiculous. It's also not what we do. Um, As leaders of the church, we want to care for anyone who's a regular. Uh, We do care for all of you. And actually, the truth is, Pete and I, for example, who are on staff, uh, we do spend a lot of time with people who are not regular or inquiring, and we want to make sure that anyone who comes through our doors is welcomed and loved in ways appropriate to them. That's what we want. And also, church membership is not um, 
an elitist thing where church members get to look down at non-members. And if they are doing that, then they're not being very good church members. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. And so if you're part of the church um, and not kind of ready to become a member yet for whatever reason, we do consider you part of our community. (laughs) We love you. We care for you. And we hope that you've experienced the warmth and welcome. We're not sneering at you or looking down at you in any way. So membership is not a class system. But that said, because the church is made up of people who commit and submit, as we've seen, that means the church is its members at its core. The church is its members. They are the ones who make up the core of the church. And as leaders, our priority of care is to members, even though it won't be exhaustively with members. So one of the reasons for doing this sermon series is because we are in an effort to restart our membership processes. Believe it or not, we've not had membership since before COVID. Um, Currently, on our membership books, we have 54 members at Grace Church, which is smaller than it should be, (laughs) I think, given how many of us um, are part of the church. And the truth is, many of you are functionally members anyway um, and have been stuck, stuck in for a long time and um, are not members, not because of any fault of yours. So what we're trying to do is create pathways for new members to join the church. Um, we're going to have um, a meeting about that. So on the 21st and the 23rd of May, we're going to have um, a meeting for prospective members. You can, if you're interested in that, you can come to one of those. Um, it's, it's the same meeting, kind of split up depending on your availability. Um, but this, as we talk about membership and think about it, the idea is that understanding it, you may choose to commit to Grace Church as your spiritual home. So a few points of application just as we finish. First of all, first of all if you are a member of this church, we are grateful for you. Uh, please do keep praying for us. Help us. Um, give your feedback on how we're doing things in terms of our processes. And pray that we would have a, a membership that is healthy because that's what we seek under Jesus. If you're not a member of the church, but you are a Christian, and you consider this church your spiritual home, I would encourage you to consider becoming a member. Now, sometimes there are complexities with membership, sometimes when other churches are involved. We get that, and we can have that conversation um, in a way that's pastoral and sensitive, and we understand things are complex. By and large, though, if you are a Christian and you attend a church that has membership, you should become a member because that is a functional way in which we can choose to submit and commit to a church. So would you consider committing here? And finally, if you are not a Christian, well, first and foremost, we're super glad you're here and we would encourage you above all to receive the Lord Jesus. And just thinking about that, let's just return to the image of the body. We thought about um, the church as the body of Christ. And Paul writes this in Ephesians 5. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Now, Paul here is talking about the relationship between spouses. They become one flesh in marriage, one body in one sense. And as we think about committing to the church body, we are reminded about that greater union, that fundamental union between Christ and his church. And this cuts to the, the core of the Christian faith, his core message. The Lord Jesus has united you to himself. And if you're not a Christian, he offers you that union. This is one of the richest blessings of being a Christian. That the infinite and eternal God, not bounded by space or time, who dwells in unapproachable light, the scriptures say, in all his purity, has made us, and though we have turned away from him, and carry all sorts of shame and darkness and failure and sin. He has come into this world in the person of his son, taking on a human body. And he offers us himself. He invites us to be united to him, to know him as a source of life forever, to enjoy him. Jesus Christ, who is the creator, offers you and I a relationship and a relationship that is so profound, it's as if we can become, as it were, part of him. And just as we read in Ephesians, Jesus loves his people. He loves those who have come to him, who have received him. Did you know that if you are a Christian, you are so precious to the Lord Jesus that he considers you part of his very self? For Jesus, caring for you is as natural as caring for his own body because he's united you to him. And part of the way he cares for us is by putting us in communion with other Christians and calling us to be, to be part of, of a church. And so if you're not Christian, please do consider this offer of union with the Lord Jesus. Find out more about what that is. And for those of us as believers, we can enjoy part of the blessings of that union by committing to a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the Lord Jesus. We thank you also that you've given us a church body that we can be part of, a place where we can know and be known, where we can love and be loved, that we can commit to, be invested in. Thank you, Lord, that you've ordained and that there would be leaders who are submitted to and Lord, again, we, we pray for our church, for, for its leaders, myself and other elders, but all those who exercise leadership roles in this church, that we would do so with love, with diligence, with care and compassion, with integrity. And Lord, for us um, as believers this morning, may we be um, just blessed by this gift of the church that you've given us and help us to commit and submit where we need to. And for those of us who do not yet know you through Jesus Christ, we pray that you reveal yourself to us, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.